We're in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. If you're there, say amen. amen. I'm looking forward to studying a very familiar passage of Scripture and yet little understood. Matthew chapter 6. Why don't we do this? If you're physically able to, and if you're not, it's completely fine. Don't feel bad about it. But why don't we stand together to read the text of Scripture? We don't always do this, but I'm going to change it up on you, Baptist, okay? <laughs> Matthew chapter 6. And verse number 9, we're going to read verses 9 through 13 out loud together. Perhaps you memorized it as a child. Now we'll recite it again together. Let's begin. After this manner, therefore pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning as our Father. And what you have given us here is the way that we're supposed to pray. God, I pray that you will speak to our hearts, and you know my heartbeat, is that you would use your word today to not only teach us about prayer, but to make us leave this place wanting to pray more. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to pray in such a way that would be glorifying to you, in such a way, um, God, that uh, we learn to enjoy communion with you. And I pray, God, for those who have prayed empty prayers and who have no assurance that when they pray, if you even hear them, I pray today that you would help them understand Jesus and what you've done for us. And I pray today would be the day that they trust you as their Savior, get washed in the blood that you shed on the cross from their, the guilt of their sin so that they know that when they pray, you hear them because they come in Jesus' name. And I pray, God, you'd speak, it up, speak to our hearts by the power of your spirit, as only you can, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 You may be seated. We began to study Matthew chapter 6 last week, and in this chapter, we discovered how Jesus speaks on his desire for us to be sincere in our faith as followers of Jesus. And he used three illustrations to demonstrate what hypocritical religion looks like compared to sincere Christianity. And uh, he used the illustration of giving and prayer and fasting. And the subject of consequence for us this morning that we'll focus on is what Jesus taught us about the subject of prayer. Now, he mentioned giving and fasting, but he focused in on prayer and elaborated more on the subject of prayer because prayer is central to the Christian life. You can't hardly give without praying, and you certainly can't fast without praying. While you can, you can pray without fasting and pray without giving. And so prayer is something that is absolutely central to the Christian life. And if there was ever anyone who was qualified to teach on the subject of prayer, it is Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. When he came down to this earth and as a man, he demonstrates to us as men uh, what it looks like to really talk to God. 
And there's power in the fact that Jesus is the one teaching us this truth about prayer. And the scripture is replete with examples of the uh, prayer life of Jesus Christ. He knew his father intimately. Some one person said prayer was the spiritual air that Jesus breathed every moment of his life. And so he's uniquely qualified to speak to us on the subject of prayer. Let's be honest as we begin this subject on prayer with a fact that I think all of us could admit to. None of us pray as we ought to. None of us. One of those areas that we are continually in need of growing in. I dare say that if you'd be honest in your own spirit, you'd have to admit that you need help here in the subject of your prayer life. I heard the story about a, a, backslid, a backslidden fisherman. He was out with his, his comrades, his, his fellow sailors and on the sea, and they came into a, a great storm that began to swell on the sea, and his sailor buddies knew that he was somewhat religious, and so they, they asked him to pray and ask God to save them, and he said, ah, I haven't, I haven't talked to God for, it's been at least over a decade since I've talked to God. I haven't even been to church for all this time. And finally, after they prompted him and compelled him, he finally shamefully bowed his head and he prayed a prayer to God. And he said something along the lines of, Dear God, I haven't talked to you for 15 years now. And if you'd be so kind to save us from this storm, I'll be sure not to bother you for another 15 years. <laughs> but that's kind of how prayer is for some of us, isn't it? Kind of like a, an emergency response system for us. It's a, it's a 911 for us spiritually. We use it when we think that we need it. And for so many, prayer is nothing more than an afterthought. Prayer is just something you turn to when you feel like you've exhausted your opportunities everywhere else. You've tried everything else. And well, I guess I can try to pray. For many people, that's what prayer is. Someone has said that many Christians offer their prayers like sailors use their pumps. Only when the ship is leaking. And how sad but true that is for many of us. For others of us, prayer is a duty. You're supposed to do it. It's not something you really enjoy doing. You do it because God says to do it. You don't have any real relationship with the Lord. I declare to you that prayer is supposed to be the greatest privilege of the Christian life. And the highest opportunity. That God has given us. There is nothing that you have. On any given day in your life. That is more important. Than talking to God. There is no greater opportunity that you have. There is no greater appointment. On your calendar. Than getting to spend time. With the God of the universe. And yet how little we think. Of this matter of prayer. Now, the religious leaders of Jesus' day had reduced prayer to nothing more than a religious observance. And as we saw in our study last week, prayer had become formal and mechanical and hypocritical for these religious people among whom Jesus lived. And he began to, as, and as he began to expose the hypocrisy of their prayers and the, the vainness of their prayers and the emptiness of their prayers at the same time as he showed them the wrong way to pray. He also wanted to take some time to show them the right way to pray. Which is why he said in verse number 9, if you look at it again with me, 
He said, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. This has often been called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I believe it probably could be more precisely defined as the disciples' prayer. Because this is a prayer that though the Lord gave it to us, it's not a prayer the Lord prayed. It's a prayer that God, that Jesus Christ gave for us to be able to pattern our prayers after. Now it's important to understand that in these 62 words, Jesus taught us everything that we need to know about the matter of prayer. 62 words. It's a powerful, powerful prayer recorded for us in the scripture the reality is, we need to be taught how to pray. You know why we need to be taught how to pray? Because we really do not know how to pray as we ought to. I want you to look in your notes at Romans chapter 8. Or perhaps you can write this down if you don't have a copy of the notes. Romans 8 verse number 26. And this is what the Bible tells us in Romans 8. It says, Likewise also the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. See, God knew that we have a deficiency. God knew that we as fallen humanity could not possibly comprehend fully the way that we are supposed to talk to God. And so God has given us His Spirit and His Word to help guide us on this subject of prayer. The Spirit of God can take the Word of God to teach you how to pray as you want to pray. So what Jesus has given us here is a biblical model for prayer. That's why he says in verse 9, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Now Jesus, in Matthew 6, had literally just got done talking about how we are not to pray with vain repetitions. This is not a prayer that Jesus gave for us to pray verbatim. That would, that would be the exact definition of a vain repetition. And yet how many false religions take prayers like this and instead of offering a prayer that is genuine to God, you just repeat these words emptily to the Lord. They mean nothing to you. They're just words that you have memorized that you think you're supposed to say to the Lord. That's not at all what Jesus was doing here. Jesus did not say pray these words. He said pray this way. He's teaching us the way that we're supposed to pray. Wearsby said that we're to use this prayer as a pattern for our prayer and not as a substitute. And so understand the difference. May our prayer be as we study this way Jesus taught us to pray. Like that of the disciples in Luke chapter 11 when the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Now some of you may be sitting here thinking, you know what, I've got this area all figured out. I know how I'm supposed to pray. I've been praying for 40 years and I know everything there is about prayer. Well, that's a great attitude, by the way. You probably need to pray some more. <laughs> I think all, if we be honest, all of us can admit we've got some growing to do in this area. And I believe that God has something for each one of us in this message. Now I'll just give you... I'll give you this right from the start. We're not going to finish this this morning. There is just no way. Uh, but I'm going to finish it tonight. And as we go through this, I want you to allow the Lord to begin to work in your life about this matter of prayer. And so notice four ways Jesus taught us to pray. The first one we'll look at this morning is the way to approach God. Jesus taught us the way to approach God. Again, in verse number 9, the Bible says, Jesus speaking, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. 
Now the word pray in this verse is in the imperative mood, grammatically, which means that it's a command. Jesus is giving a command for His people to pray. Jesus expects His followers to pray. Prayer is not an option. Prayer is an expectation for believers. Earlier in Matthew 6, we noticed this last week, Jesus did not say if you pray. He said when you pray. And the expectation was that believers were going to pray. Ephesians 6.18 tells us to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. Prayer is an indispensable element of the Christian life. Matthew Henry put it this way. He says, you may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a Christian that does not pray. That is how essential prayer is to be to our spiritual life. It's just like breathing physically. That's what prayer is. It is our spiritual breath as believers. And so in this model prayer, Jesus begins by teaching us a very important thing. He teaches us how we're supposed to approach God. And notice what he says in the rest of verse 9. Continuing on to verse 9, these are the words Jesus prayed. He said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now you'll notice at the beginning of this prayer, it's all about God. He doesn't start by talking about what he needs, what he wants. As he starts in prayer and he's teaching us how to pray, from beginning to end, his prayer is focused on God above everything else and above everyone else. And that is so important for us to understand when it comes to the matter of our praying. One saint of old wrote these words. He said, true prayer brings the mind to the immediate contemplation of God's character and holds it there. And so the believer's soul is properly impressed. How often when we pray, our mind wanders on anything but God. But when you are truly praying, your mind and your affection will be focused on the Lord. And true praying, as he said in that quote, keeps your focus on God until your whole life is transformed And moved back in the right direction as you understand who God is and what God's will is. And so he begins to teach us first the way that we're supposed to approach God in prayer. The one thing you'll notice about each one of these sections, there are four sections uh, that that Jesus uses to teach us how to pray. And in each one of these sections, there are essentially three truths that Jesus brings out. And so Jesus shows us three ways that we're supposed to approach God. We already read them. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's look at each one of these and understand how Jesus teaches us to approach God. First off, we find we are to approach God with recognition. With recognition. Those first two words of the prayer, what are they? Let's say it together. Our Father. We're to approach God with recognition, praying our Father. As you approach God in prayer, Jesus teaches us that you are to acknowledge Him for who He is. You are to pray our Father. Now what we learn from that is many things. First off, we learn you ought not approach God like you own Him. Alright? He's not a little idol on your shelf that you get to carry around and bid to do as you please. It's not my father, it's our father. 
In fact, you'll look through the, through the prayer that Jesus gives us here. There is not one singular pronoun used. They are all plural. Because the focus of our prayer is not to be on self. It is to be on God and for the benefit of others, not just ourselves. Our Father, He prays. He is not just your God, but as Romans 10 verse 12 says, He is the God of all that call upon Him. By the way, how many of you are thankful for that today? God doesn't pick and choose. He's willing for all men to come to Him. And I'm thankful, thankful, thankful for that so long as we come through the blood of Jesus. So He says, Our Father. What we learn from this is that the only way you can truly approach God is if you know Him as Father. Now that's significant. Now there are places in the Old Testament where in a general sense, God is referred to as the Father of all, being a Creator. He is the uh, progenitor of all people. He is the uh, true source of beginning for all people in this world. But though all can look to God as their Creator, not all people can say that God is truly their Father and that they are His sons and daughters. There is a distinction and the Bible makes this very clear to us. True prayer depends on a spiritual relationship with God that enables us to call Him our Father. And that spiritual relationship is critically important for us to understand. And the only way that you can be brought into this spiritual relationship with God is through faith in Jesus Christ and what He has done on the cross to pay for your sins. Now look at your notes at Romans chapter number, <coughs> Romans chapter number 8. The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are who? The sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. This is incredible. When you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you no longer have a spirit of fear towards God. I don't have a, I don't have a fear. That doesn't mean you don't fear God or reverence God. Don't mistake what I'm saying. But I don't look at God as a judge for me anymore. Because my sins have been judged. By, uh, God judged my sins on Jesus Christ. But now I have a spirit of adoption. God has taken me as His own. He has adopted me into His family. And now when I look to God, I don't think of Him as a, as a, a great sovereign in heaven that is just looking to squish anybody who goes against His will. No, my sins have been punished. I don't see God that way anymore. Now when I look to God, I see God as mine. Daddy. That's what Abba literally means. It's not just father, but it's daddy in the child sense. I still have a bunch of little kids that call me daddy. And I'm not really looking forward to the day when they get old enough to where they say, Dad. I kind of like being called daddy. There's just an affection there. That's the kind of affection that God wants us to have with Him as our Father. And so we see our faith in Christ makes us the adopted sons of God. You notice John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, But as many as received Jesus, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. And boy, what a privilege it is. What a privilege to be called the sons of God. 1 John 3 and verse 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Friend, do you, do you understand how much of a privilege it is to actually be a child of God? I'm not worthy. 
But God has taken me as His own. He has claimed me as a part of His family. And if you've been saved, you know that too. What a blessing. Now, when I was a kid growing up, Leroy Burkett was always just daddy to me. That's my dad, by the way, okay? That's all he ever was. And I only ever thought of my dad as, as my daddy, but as I got older and I got to know him more, and I more, more than that, I started to see other people uh, interact with him. I started to realize that he was a spiritual leader. He was a layman youth pastor in our church. He was a lineman. I'd get around his, his co-workers. He was a hard worker. He was a man's man. All right? I began to learn all these things about my dad that I, I didn't know about him. But as I interacted with other people, I began to, began to learn about those things more and more. And my father began to become so much more to me. But the root source of that relationship was that he was my father. And as I began, began to get to know my father more, I began to learn so much more about him. What I'm getting at with sharing this illustration with you is this. When you come to know God as your father, you'll find he is so much more than anything that you knew before. But until you come to know God as your Father, you'll never truly be able to come to know Him as all of these other things. Because it starts with coming into that relationship with Him. Knowing Him as your Father. And so Jesus said, as you come to approach God, you ought to do so with recognition of who He is. Our Father. Now the next way you approach God is this. You're to approach God with respect. Approach God with respect. He says, our Father, and read the next four words out loud with me. Which art in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven, as you approach God in prayer, not only are you to acknowledge who He is, but then you are to acknowledge where He sits, who art in heaven. God sits on a throne that is higher than any throne that will ever be placed or has ever been placed on this earth. His throne is in the heavens, Psalm 103 tells us. His kingdom rules over all. One of my favorite stories about this subject from our American history involves President Lyndon Johnson. And uh, as the story is told, his press secretary, Bill Moyers, was saying grace at a staff luncheon. And uh, President Johnson spoke up as he was praying and he told Bill Moyers, speak up, I can't hear you. And Bill Moyers looked up and he quietly said, to the, and frankly said to the president, well, sir, I was not talking to you. I love that. Because the president doesn't hold a candle to the God of the universe. Listen, when you're talking to God, you need to recognize who it is you're talking to. More importantly, where he's sitting. He's sitting on a throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all that are in this earth. And from his heavenly throne, as God looks down on this earth, you'll understand that his perspective is a whole lot different than yours. He sees the circumstances of this world and the circumstances in your life in a whole, from a whole different angle than what you'll fully ever be able to comprehend on this side of eternity. Isaiah 55 and, and verse number 9 tells us for us the heavens are higher than the earth. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Understanding where God sits will change the way you pray. You understand that God sits in the heavens. It will cause you to certainly be careful about what you have to say. I love this verse. It's a, it's a little quoted verse, but it's in your notes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 2. 
It says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. When you realize where God is sitting, it will change certainly the way you pray when you understand that high throne upon which He sits. You're to approach God with recognition of who He is. You're to approach God with uh, this respect, acknowledging where He sits. And the third way Jesus taught us to approach God is to approach God with reverence. With reverence. What's the third part of that verse in verse 9? He says, Our Father which art in heaven, say it with me, hallowed be Thy name. Hallowed be thy name. When you approach God in prayer, the Bible teaches you're to acknowledge how special God is to you. That's what I believe the Bible's teaching us here. Acknowledge how special God is to you. In other words, you need to, you need to tell God as you begin in prayer, God, there is no one like you. You are unique. You are matchless. You are consecrated. You are separate. You're, you're the only one as you are. That's the idea of hallowing or consecrating or calling holy God. The word hallowed is not a word that we use very often in our modern English vernacular. It is translated from the Greek word hagiadzo, which literally means to treat something as holy. Well, the fact is, God is holy whether you treat Him that way or not. Okay? Uh, and that's important for us to understand, but... What Jesus indicates to us here is that it is God's desire for you to recognize His holiness as you approach Him. Now think about this with me. The most powerful beings in the universe apart from God Himself are the high-ranking angels, the cherubim. And when the cherubim come into the presence of God, they cover their face. And they bow before God what are the words that they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. They acknowledge the holiness of God. If the most powerful beings in the universe, when they come into the presence of God, feel summoned to acknowledge His holiness, how much more so should it be true for people like you and me? As we come to God in prayer, we are to come with a reverence of the holiness that God, uh, that God possesses. Truly, there is nobody like our God. And that's something that we should recognize every time we come before Him in prayer. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 challenges us to sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. All right, that word sanctify is the same word hallowed in the Greek. It's hagiadzo. We are to consecrate, to treat as holy the Lord our God in our hearts, both by the way we live and especially when we come before Him in prayer. But listen to me, because this is, getting, this is bringing it down to where we actually live. So often when we approach God, we, we aren't even thinking about God. We are entirely focused on ourselves. God, I need... We just march right into the presence of God with no reverence or recognition of the fact of who He is, where He sits, or, or, or how He is supremely uh, exalted above all others. Jesus says when you go to talk to God, as you approach God, let's make sure it's about Him, not about you. That's the right way 
to pray. So do you approach God the right way? I don't know about you, but as I studied this passage this week, I was often convicted about how shallow and how offensive the way I pray often may be. Jesus teaches us first the way to approach God. But secondly, and this is what we'll look at, we'll stop here on this point for this morning. Secondly, we see Jesus teaches us the way to adjust to God. The way to adjust to God. Verse number 10. Let's read it out loud together. Verse 10. Let's read it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Jesus makes clear something to us here. He makes clear that prayer requires us to make some adjustments. I've heard it often said that prayer changes things. That's true. But the, the more accurate statement would be this. Prayer changes people. Because when you truly talk to God, you cannot walk away from that unchanged. You cannot. And so, Jesus teaches us how to adjust to God in prayer. Robert Lowell put it this way. He said, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven but for getting God's will done on earth. And that's why Satan hates when Christians pray. Because if he can keep you from praying, he can keep you from allowing God to work in your heart and adjust your life to His will. If he can make you think that you can live without God, he has accomplished his purposes. Because without God, you are nothing. And you can do nothing. But with God, all things are possible. That's why he fights so much to keep us from praying. And so Jesus shows us that after you have taken time to approach God's throne, then you ought to spend some time allowing your heart to be adjusted to God as you pray. By the way, you cannot adjust to God without making some decisions to surrender to God. Adjust, by adjusting to God, what I'm talking about is you are allowing God to, even as you pray to Him, to commune with your heart and reveal any area of your life that you need to change your mind about. You need to change your ways about. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 puts it this way. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the changing of your mind, so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And as you come to God in prayer, it is a time not only for you to approach God with reverence and respect, but it is also a time for you to acknowledge some things about God and allow the truth of God to change your perspective and even change the way that you pray about the things that you need. That is what Jesus is demonstrating to us here. So Jesus shows how you are to surrender to God in prayer every single day. It's a powerful thing when you truly get a hold of what we're talking about here. There are several areas that Jesus challenges us to surrender in. Again, just like in the first, there are three areas Jesus tells us we need to allow God to adjust us in prayer. Three areas we need to surrender. And the first is this. You need to surrender the dominion. Surrender the dominion. Now look at verse 10 again. The first part of the verse. Let's read the first three words out loud together. It says this. Thy kingdom come. 
In prayer, we adjust our minds to recognize that the ultimate purpose for which we live is for the kingdom of God to be established on this earth. That's the ultimate reason that we are living for. And before we ever ask God for anything, we're to acknowledge that whatever we ask should be aligned with God's ultimate purpose on this earth. And that is that his kingdom would be established. Now, the kingdom of God has everything to do with Jesus's sovereign reign over all of this earth. The sad reality is, and hear me out on this, you know this as well as I do. Jesus is not ruling in every human heart today. The things that we see taking place on this earth are atrocious. And it cannot be said that Jesus is reigning as Lord over every human heart that exists on this earth. Today, the kingdom of God does not exist in a universal physical sense. Today, Jesus made clear that the kingdom of God only exists within the hearts of those who have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's why in the, in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 17, and verse number 21, Jesus told his disciples, behold, the kingdom of God is where? Within you. The moment you claim Christ as your Lord and Savior, you put him on the throne of your heart, his kingdom begins to rule and reign. He becomes your God, your father, uh, your, your master, your ruler, your Lord, your sovereign. He calls the shots in your life. And that is true for believers. Yet we also understand this. All of history, all of human history, is heading toward the day when Jesus will come again and establish his reign on this earth. And that day is coming. And, and even as we come to God in prayer, we're to acknowledge that that day is soon coming. Yes, there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And as we pray, Thy kingdom come, we are praying for that day in particular to be established on this earth when Christ is seated as eternal King over the nations. This is so important. That later on in this chapter, and we'll study this more in depth later, but in verse 33, very familiar verse, Jesus tells us that we are to seek when? First. Seek first the kingdom of God. God's kingdom is supposed to have the top priority in your life. That's how significant this is. You are, you are to surrender your life every day to live for the purposes of God's kingdom. Listen. One of those purposes is to see souls saved. Because God's kingdom is advanced and it takes more ground every time someone else claims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And there are many, there's many, many ways I could go to elaborate that, but the point of the matter is the reason you're supposed to be living every day and one of the reasons Jesus says to acknowledge this in prayer, to pray thy kingdom come, is to put God's priorities in the right perspective in your own life. Because if you don't learn to pray thy kingdom come, you'll look to God more as a genie than as a master. And God ain't your genie. Now, that's not good grammar, but it's true. He is Lord. You don't call the shots for God. God calls the shots for you. You need to acknowledge His coming kingdom. By the way, don't waste your life trying to build the wrong kingdom either. We're guilty of this often as Americans. We get so consumed with our jobs, our hobbies, our families, our own things, that we lose sight of the kingdom. 
That's why every time we come to God in prayer, Jesus says, pray, thy kingdom come. It's a continual reminder, that's what I'm living for. That's what I'm living for. Alright? So Jesus teaches us the way to adjust to God. We're to surrender the dominion. Secondly, we're to, you're to surrender your desires. Surrender your desires. He says, thy kingdom come. Then he prays, thy will be done. Prayer is not a time for you to tell God what you want and then selfishly enjoy it. Prayer is asking God to use you to accomplish what He wants. That's what prayer is supposed to be. By the way, James, in the book of James, he warns us about the danger of trying to come to God and pray selfish prayers so that we can, we can get the things that we want for our own selfish purposes. He says in James chapter 4 and verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. Now often have I prayed, not because I thought it was God's will, but because I really wanted something. The way I've learned, and I don't have time to elaborate this, but I've learned to thank God for unanswered prayer in my life. There are things I prayed for. I'm so glad that God didn't answer. So glad. There was a time in my life when I prayed because I thought I wanted to marry a certain girl. And that wasn't the girl God had for me. God had something a whole lot better, amen? amen. Well, I'll say amen. <laughs> I'm glad that God doesn't always answer our prayers. Because sometimes the prayers we pray are selfish. And we can't see things from God's perspective. That's why Jesus said, pray that thy will be done. Whatever it is you think you want, what God has for you is so much better. Pray for His will to be done. Listen, that's not a cop-out. Sometimes I've, I've heard people say when they're asking prayer requests, Lord, we want this, but we'll accept whatever you want. Almost like whatever God wants is second best. Really? No. Listen, God's will is always best. And uh, even when the will of God seems to be negative for us with what God is allowing, He takes even the worst of circumstances and works it out for our good and His glory. You can't top God. You, you, you can't outdo God. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the hearts of men the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. Jeremiah 33.3, the Bible tells us, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. And to pray thy will be done is a powerful prayer. Give God your desires, because what God wants for you is better than what you think you want for yourself. Prayer is a time for you to adjust your will to God's will. By the way, Jesus is our prime example of a person who prayed this prayer. Before he went to the cross, he prayed in Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. Humanly speaking, Jesus had no desire to go to the cross and endure the things he had to endure. But he prayed, God, whatever you want. When we come to God in prayer, we are to pray the same way. Thy will be done. Too often we seek to bend God's will to our own will. But true prayer is allowing God to bend our will to His. Amy Carmichael, a wonderful godly lady, an example of a Christian. She wrote these words in one of her diaries. She said, and shall I pray to change thy will, my father? until it is according to mine. But no, Lord, no. 
That shall never be. Rather, I pray thee, blend my human will to thine. That's the true prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Surrender the dominion to God. Surrender your desires to God. But the final truth we'll look at this morning is you are to surrender your direction to God. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Hang with me because we're almost done today. As you pray, you are to pray that God's will in heaven will be done on this earth. By the way, the implication in these words is that God's will is not always done on earth. And I think that we have a corrupt viewpoint oftentimes about this very subject right here. Why would God tell us to pray, God, allow your will in heaven to be done on earth if it was something that was already happening? It's not. Listen, as you look at the sin that's taking place in this earth, did God know it would take place? Absolutely, He knew it was going to happen. Is it God's will that you sin? No, it's not what God wants. It's not God's desire. Is it God's will that people die and go to hell for their sin? No, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. As you think about the will of God, there are many things that happen in this world that are certainly not the will of God. And we are to pray that every person on earth, including ourselves, would submit to God's will. On any given day, God has something He wants you to do. You can make choices whether to do it or not to do it. And every day you're to pray, God, what you want in heaven... I want to take place on earth in my life today. Pray for God's will to be done. What we also see from this description here, another implication is that heaven is to be the starting point of our prayers. Sometimes I've heard people say statements to me like this. Well, I feel like my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. I feel like God isn't hearing my prayer. Have you ever heard that before? I hear it all the time. You think that your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Your prayers are starting from the wrong place. Adrian Rogers, he put it this way. He said, we too often pray in the wrong direction. We try to pray from earth to heaven when we truly ought to be praying from heaven to earth. Say, so what in the world do you mean by that? This is what I mean. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your prayer doesn't start here and you hope it makes it to heaven. No, as a believer in Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, when I come to God in prayer, I leave this earth. I march right into the heavenlies where Christ sits, where God's throne is. And I make my petitions known to God. I'm not praying from earth to heaven, but when I come to God in prayer, spiritually speaking, I know it's true because the Bible teaches it. I'll go to God in heaven. And I spend time with God there. And when I'm done, I bring back what God wants with me down to this earth. That's powerful praying. That's spiritual praying. That's biblical praying. That's the way that Jesus taught us to pray. I said to you as we began this morning that prayer is the greatest opportunity and the highest privilege that we have been afforded as believers. And yet none of us pray as we ought to pray. Now you notice this morning as we studied the first two sections of this prayer that Jesus was teaching us to pray according to, that not one mention is ever made of you asking God for anything. 
You understand when you come to God in prayer, it's supposed to begin with as you approach God, it's all about Him. You come and approach God and you recognize who He is and, and you respect where He sits in the heavens and you reverence Him because there's no one like Him. And then as you approach God, then you begin to allow your will to be adjusted to heaven's will. And you surrender the dominion to God. You're living for His purposes, not your own. And you surrender your desires to God. God, I'm coming and I'm going to ask you for some things. But my heart's desire is that your will would be done. And even if it goes against what I think I want, God, I want your will to be done. As in heaven, so on this earth, you surrender your direction to God. You start in heaven. You allow God to speak to you in prayer. And you bring what God teaches you in prayer back down to this earth. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Is that how you pray? I don't know about you, but I need to grow in this area. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes my prayers are just focused on me. Oftentimes my prayers are afterthoughts. Instead of being spending time in relationship with my eternal creator. And I don't know about you, but I need to grow in this area of prayer. My heart's cry for us as a church. Listen, we're going to finish this tonight and learn the rest of the way Jesus teaches us to pray. But my heart's cry for us as a church is that we hear the teaching of Jesus Christ from the Lord's Prayer. And it would compel us to leave this place and want to go pray. Want to go spend some time with God. And let's do it the way Jesus taught us to. One final thing. If you're in here, you don't feel like you can talk to God. When you pray, you're not sure whether God hears you or not. It very well may be because you have not been forgiven of your sins. The blood of Jesus Christ has not been applied to your account. If you were to die today, you don't know you go to heaven. If you pray, you don't know if God hears you. Today, you can know. And if you'd like for us to show you from the Bible how you can know Christ as your Savior, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And now is the accepted time. You don't have to leave this place wondering if God hears you. You can leave this place with your sins forgiven, knowing God hears you. And I hope you'll come get that settled if you don't have that peace in your heart. Let's all.